Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, find in yours Revelation chapter 10, the 10th chapter in the Revelation. The last two weeks I have intentionally brought before us these two verses simultaneously. Revelation 6 and 10, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And the second verse with intent is Revelation 11 and 15. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And we have been asking each week, why is John writing in chapter 11, about the second coming, knowing full well he does not come to rule and reign until Revelation 19. The answer to that question is to encourage those who are praying, how long? When how long is too long, we have a tendency to ask, how much longer? Jesus, in chapter 11, answers that question for them. He does for them what he never does for us. And the reason? These tribulation believers are going through what we church folk never will. Jesus has John write in chapter 11 in one verse the number 42 months. In another verse, 1260 days. And the reason? That's how long. Much longer before the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. All of us, including them, need Romans 15 and 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. When how long seems too long, life begins to seem hopeless, we become discouraged. We quit, we throw in the towel, we do not persevere. And what we need is a word from the Lord. Into our thoughts enters chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a word from the Lord to these tribulation persecuted believers. It is a symbolic word. It is filled with symbolism. And all the symbolism in one way or another anticipates Jesus' coming. Jesus is coming. Notice this symbolic anticipation as I read verses 1 through 3. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud. And the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. We now know from the previous two lessons what each of these descriptions symbolize. Each of them symbolize Jesus' coming. Take, for example, the angel being clothed with a cloud. Why that? Why a cloud? Well, here's one reason. Revelation 1 and 7, he is coming in the clouds. A rainbow is on his head. We now know from Genesis, a rainbow is a symbol of a covenant and promise. This angel's description and its symbolism is telling them, I'm promising you by covenant, Messiah is coming. 
face like the sun, he will illuminate the darkness, feet like fire. When he comes, he comes to judge. This morning, we're going to look a little more closely at that little book. Right foot on the sea, left on the land. This angel is enormous. God is mighty. God is powerful. A lion that roars. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation tells us. Now listen, that overcomes. He's going to overcome the devil and his demons. All symbols pointing them to Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Last week, we ended with verse 4. This morning, we begin with verse 5. Notice verse 5, and the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. I see more symbolism in this verse. First, he lifted his right hand to heaven. Do you see that? Now, what's in his left hand? Well, look at verse 2. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. Right hand in the air, left hand on a book. Right hand in the air, left hand on a book you've been in a courtroom, you know that this is a symbolic gesture for truth-telling. You take the witness stand, but before you do, you place your left hand on the Bible, and with your right hand in the air, you, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Speaking of swearing to tell the truth, look at verse 6. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. This angel is reminding us of a truth, a truth that ought to encourage us. What? God created the heavens. God created all things in it, the earth, the sea. He created us. And if that's true, then he is sovereign over his creation. And if he's sovereign over his creation, he has the power and the authority to take this world back. Remember, that's what the scroll was all about, the title deed to this earth. It is impossible to imagine a stronger statement of Jesus Christ's right to rule the kingdoms of this world. After all, the universe belongs to him by creation and by redemption. John 1, 3, and 4, all things came into being through him, that's Jesus. And apart from him, that's Jesus. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is symbolism that would encourage that Jesus is coming. A few weeks back, I had mentioned to you that when we make our way through this entire book, the book of the Revelation, we want to turn to the Older Testament and go through the book of Daniel with verses 5 and 6 in your thoughts. Listen carefully to Daniel 12 and 7. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. As he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. And as soon as they finished shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. A time, times, and a half a time. Daniel is writing about the precise moment during the tribulation that we find ourselves in, in Revelation 10 and 11. The halfway point, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days, a time, one year, times, two more years, a half a time, six months, three and a half years. And the angel is swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and 
and nothing but the truth. What, what truth? The end of verse 6, there shall be delay no longer. For 2,000 years and counting, God has been delaying. The disciples longed for this time. Jesus commanded you and I to pray for this time. Matthew 24 and 3, and he, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Acts 1 and 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Remember, the tribulation is about Israel. Not only the time of Jacob's trouble where two-thirds die, but one-third is saved. All Israel will be saved, and the kingdom follows the tribulation, and the kingdom will be restored to Israel. And then you and I, we find ourselves a part of this whole narrative. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, are now about to be answered in the Revelation. And notice what this is called in verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Then the mystery of God is finished. This is not a mystery like an Agatha Christie novel. But we now know this mystery that is finished is the coming of Jesus Christ to judge the world and rule the world and save his people. Let, let's talk about this mystery because apparently, according to verse 7, the prophets did. And what if I told you God will not do things he hasn't revealed to his prophets? You should say, give me a verse. Well, how about this one? Amos 3 and 7, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. This mystery was revealed to the prophets that Jesus is coming. Daniel saw it. Ezekiel saw it. Isaiah saw it. Zechariah saw it. Joel saw it. They all saw it. But they did not see everything because some truths were concealed until John wrote the book of the Revelation. Did you know right now, this morning, God is delaying? For 2,000 years and counting, he's been delaying this very event we're learning about. What event? Jesus is coming. Why is he delaying? 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with the water. So much of what we've been learning is found just in those few opening verses in chapter three. What is there? Well, his coming. All continues. The word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. Now we're talking about creation. The angel talked about, he swore to tell the truth. What? That God created the heavens and the earth. And then Peter goes on to say, but by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire. We've been, we've been talking about the judgment to come, have we not? Peter goes on to say, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And we are living in the days of delaying because we are living in the days of repenting. This morning, I want to spend the rest of our time with one question that has three answers. And, and the question is this. After nearly 11 chapters, we're not done with chapter 11 yet. We've, we've skimmed through it. But with nearly 11 chapters learned, what should these 11 chapters do to the church? Well, there are three answers to that question, and they are all found in chapter 10. I asked the question, what should they do to the church? Because remember, John wrote this book and then gave it to the seven churches. And we now know the seven churches are representative of all churches of all time. And that means you and I this morning. So what should the first 11 chapters do to the church? Well, notice verses 8 through 10. The voice which I heard from heaven... I heard again speaking with me and saying, go take the book, which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it'll be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And When I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. This so resembles Ezekiel chapter 2, where the Son of Man, Ezekiel, is told to take a scroll. And what was written on the scroll was not good. It was lamentations, mourning, and woe. Everything about what we're learning in the Revelation is about lamentations, mourning, and woe. Loud prayers crying out, lamentations, mourning. Revelation 1 and 7, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn for him. Ezekiel wrote about woes, Revelation 8 and 13, the three woes. But then in chapter 3 of Ezekiel, we read, Son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll, and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, Ezekiel said. Did he literally eat it? Did Ezekiel literally eat it? Did John literally eat it? No, I think it's more symbolism. The Bible often describes itself in both Testaments like food, and, and we eat food, right? David says, Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are thy words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians about their being men of flesh and not mature, he likened the word of God to milk and meat, and he couldn't give them meat. He can only give them meat milk. So you ask, what is the point of the symbolism? What's the point of eating it? Why is it sweet? Why is it bitter? Well, in the case of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is waiting for God to act. And when he heard that God was going to act, he found it sweet. But when Israel rejected his word, it became bitter. So John takes in the word that God is going to act. He won't delay any longer. The mystery is finished. Jesus is coming. Those who are crying out, how long, O Lord, before you will refrain and avenge 
our blood, and, and that's coming. And it's and it's sweet in his mouth. It's sweet to the taste. You know, when I think about Jesus Christ coming, I have nothing but sweet thoughts. Christ will be glorified. Christ will no longer be trampled upon, defamed, blasphemed against, ridiculed, made fun of. Christ, when he comes, will take over the world. He'll destroy Satan and his demons. It means the kingdom is coming. Sin is conquered. Salvation is real, revealed. Christ is going to reign. That's all sweet. Tell me how sweet this will taste. Revelation 22 and 3, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. So one thing that these first 11 chapters ought to do, the word of God, the little book, is it ought to be sweet to our tastes. But it ought to also be bitter in our stomach. It was bitter in John's stomach because he stops to think about what he's reading, what he's seen in the visions, what's going to happen. That these judgments were so frightening that he was about to pen the seven peals of thunder and then he was told not to write it. When Daniel wrote about this, he was sick and exhausted for six days. What happens when we eat bitter things? It upsets our stomach. It makes us sick. The little book that is sweet also means blood and wrath and vengeance and judgment and hell. The judgments are bitter. There, there is unsaved family in this bitterness. There is unsaved friends in this bitterness. And look, there are people we don't even know in this bitterness. I believe in capital punishment for the guilty. And yet I do not want to see it. I believe in justice. I, I believe in Genesis 9. If you shed man's blood by man, shall your blood be shed. I believe that. But listen, it makes me sick to my stomach that someone's boy or daughter, parent or spouse will be executed. So the first two things, when we ask the question, what should the first 11 chapters in the Revelation do to the church? It, it ought to be sweet and it ought to be bitter, which leads us to the third thing it ought to do. And I would argue the sweet and the bitterness give way to the third. If you've been with me for several weeks now through the Revelation, you have been hearing me repeat that the message of this book, the book of the Revelation written to the church, is inform the world, flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the tribulation to come. Flee from that hour that is about to come upon the whole world. So repent today. Believe and be saved today. Repent and be rapture ready. And Jesus promises you this morning, Revelation 3 and 10, you will be kept from the hour of testing. You will be kept from all these plagues, the pestilence, the bitterness, the judgments. Where did I get that? Verse 11, Revelation 10, verse 11, they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. They said to me, the me is John. They are the seven angels. But John is being told to prophesy again at this point after all that he has witnessed seen and heard 
But remember, John will never see the tribulation. John won't be preaching in chapter 10 and 11. John is going to be preaching during the church age. Remember, this is for the church. You might as well say when it says they said to me, put your name in the me. They said to Michael. They said to Fran. They said to Bob. You must prophesy. Prophesy the what? Tell them to taste the honey and avoid the bitter. Repeat what you've heard, what you've read, what you've learned, what you've seen. Repeat the gospel. Tell people to repent, to change what they believe and how they behave. What they believe about Jesus, who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He's the eternal son of God. He was born of a virgin. He died on a cross. He rose on the third day and he's coming again. Change what you believe. Change how you behave. In Revelation 9, after half of mankind was killed by the plagues, it says the rest did not repent of their behavior. They did not repent of how they lived life. Please don't let the lie continue that to be saved by grace means that you can live in lawlessness, that you can live in licentiousness. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's because repentance has been removed from the gospel. All you hear is believe. All you hear is salvation by grace. All you hear is God loves you. But the first 11 chapters want to communicate something else. They said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Prophesy what? How about the first 11 chapters of the Revelation? Talk to people in the church age about the first 11 chapters in the Revelation. Why? Because we want people to flee from the wrath to come, flee from the tribulation to come, flee from that hour that is about to come upon the whole world. Because that's bitterness. But you know what's sweet? The rapture. The trumpet will sound. The church will be kept from this hour. That is sweet. I pray that today will be the day of repentance for you. May God bless his word.